to dive right into the message. You can pull out your message notes. I'm excited today uh, to share on the fourth part of this series. We are in the Blessed Life series. Uh, it's based out of Pastor Robert Morris's book, uh, The Blessed Life. If you've never heard of him or read the book, I want to encourage you to go buy it. It's a book that changed my life probably about a decade ago when it first came out. Really had a huge impact in me, uh, the way that I saw living a blessed life and even how responsible we are uh, with the things that God has given to us. And so uh, this series has been really something to focus our lives, to in some cases realign our lives, in other cases simply redirect our lives. Uh, and today what I want to talk about as we conclude this series is I'm going to talk about driven by eternity. Driven by eternity. Uh, for us to have the perspective that God wants us to have, we have to have one eye on eternity and then one eye on here and this earth. And so I just want to dive into that topic this morning. I really think it's going to bless you. Uh, and let me just pray because I, I want the Lord to speak to us. And, and some of us that will just start to click. It's like, wow, God, you're illuminating some things. Father, we ask that you move in our hearts today. God, we thank you for allowing us to live this life but God, we want your perspective. We want to keep an eye on eternity as we live a life here with one eye on things here. And God, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Reveal your truth of your word to us. And let us walk out of here differently, living the blessed life. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to turn to Psalms chapter 112, verse 5 through 6. We're going to start here. Uh, and I want to lay a foundation for what God wants to speak to us. Uh, in verse 5, it says, good will come to him who is generous. Everybody say generous. Now, generosity is a value that we hold dear at our church. It's one of our values. Uh, generosity is a lifestyle for us. That's what we're cultivating in our hearts, uh, that we would lead the way. Everybody say lead. That means we're the first out in the way of generosity and being generous with our time, talent, and treasure. That God's called us to live a generous life. And it says, look, good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. Now, I love this because, look, you can't stop the shaking, but how many know you can keep from being shaken? Like there's some things that are going to happen in this world. You can't stop it. But that, that's why I tell you all the time, look, God's kingdom is recession proof. God's not worried about recession. He's, he's, he's not concerned about blessing. Like, I don't know if I can bless you because of recession. God is recession proof. Doesn't matter what's happening around the world and all the things and the life's events. Uh, if we really operate in the system in the way God calls us to, we don't have to be shaken when the world is shaken. And then look at what he says. Here's really the legacy verse that I love so much. It says, a righteous man will be remembered forever. That you can live your life in such a way that you are remembered. And, and I want to propose that a blessed life is not all about what you can get, but what you can give. That really we're building a legacy that impacts people far beyond my lifetime. Now, I just turned 40 a couple years ago, and now eternity is looking a little closer. Anybody, you know, I'm 42. But I'm looking like, how can I let my life live beyond me? Like, I don't want me to have lived this life, James says, just a mist or a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. And, and then nobody remember the impact that we made. 
And so that's what legacy is all about. It's living our lives for what matters. It's making sure that we impact eternity, which has a value that lasts beyond our life. And when you look at legacy, that's where my life lives on. That's what legacy is. It's the beyond me facet of life that when I breathe my last breath, the impact that I had on this earth is still being felt through the lives of people. Really, transcendence would be a great word. It's living beyond myself. And on the inside of every person, uh, one of the greatest desires is that you would make that kind of an impact. And the thing I love about God is God actually designs this in the DNA of who we are. That our lives would not just be about me. Yes, before Jesus, it's about you connecting with Jesus. But after you connect with God and you receive salvation, now it's about making an eternal impact that lives beyond my life. And I need you to know you're never going to be fulfilled until you live that legacy life. Until you live beyond the now and the here and, and what you can see and feel and taste and touch. It's that beyond yourself life that God calls us to live. And as we lay the foundation, it's important to understand that there's really two parts to life. There's the life here on earth, which we are all very familiar with, but then there's the life in eternity. The beyond now, the beyond here. And we have to learn how to focus on that life, the eternal life. Because the truth is, it's easy for us to get lost in the focus of the here and now. The, the priorities of life, the urgency of, of situations. We tend to forget about heaven and eternity. But what we must do is not forget that eternity is not that far away. It's closer than we realize. And really as my pastor, my job is really to prepare you for two places. Life here on earth and life in eternity. But i got to prepare you. If I'm going to do the job that God's called me to do, I've got to prepare you for both places. Because there will come a day, and you need to hear this, that you're going to stand before God. And we will be judged for the things we did here on earth. Look at what Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says. You then... Why do you judge your brother or sister? So really, why are you so worried about the way everybody else is living? Don't worry about them. Just worry about yourself. I mean, you know, i got enough stuff to worry about right here. It says, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm telling you, we're going to be accountable to God. And, and I want to break it down of what that will actually look like. It's really like a two-question test that we're going to take with our lives. Now, how many of you remember high school? Some of you, it's not that long ago. Maybe you're in high school now. For others of us, it's a couple of decades ago. It's uh, further back. You're, you're like, wow. But you remember high school? I, I didn't do so well in high school. I did pretty good in 9th and 10th grade, but 11th and 12th grade, how many know? I just goofed around, did as little as possible. I'd listen in class, but I never did any homework. And I was a pretty smart guy, but didn't really apply myself. How many ever walked into a test? In high school, do you, do you remember that? You're like, hold on, it's a little foggy. Get the cobwebs out, those tests that we took. And... I remember walking out thinking, man, I just aced it. I killed it. Boom. Like, man, it's good. Good, good, good. And then we get back the next day. You get the test back and you got a big whopping C, D, or F. Come on, somebody. You're like, I didn't do as good as I thought I did. Now, it's interesting because in college, 
I learned how to study differently. I learned how to test differently. I realized that it was important to prepare for the test that you were going to take. And, you know, I'm excited and proud to tell you for most of my career, I made the president's list in college. What was the difference? I learned how to test well. And I want to, this morning, help you test well when it comes to the test that God has for our lives. It's my job to prepare you for the test so that when we stand before God, we have done what we need to pass the test that God will have for us. Now, to prepare you, you've got to know there's really two judgments that are coming your way. These judgments, we could call them tests. Uh, most Christians don't know this. Uh, so I want to help you be prepared. The first question or test that we're going to face is, what did you do with my son Jesus? That's the first test that everyone is going to be questioned. We're going to be asked with our test. It says, look, I sent Jesus to earth. He came here on a mission uh, to pay for our sins. And what we have to understand is that all sin has to be paid for. That, that's a fact. And most people, unfortunately, here's the challenge. They're going to have to pay for their own sins. See, hell is not a place where God sends people because he's mad at them. And I think the world says, how could God send people he loves to hell? No, no, he didn't send people to hell because he's mad at them. Hell is a place where people go because they have to pay for their own sin. And isn't it a tragedy that the price has already been paid for the sins of the world, and yet some people never receive the salvation that Jesus' death on a cross purchased for us? And so what's the question? What did you do with Jesus? Did you receive the free gift of salvation that his sacrifice offers to us? Here's what's interesting. In return, he's not asking you for perfection. He's not asking you for holiness, though holiness is important. You know what he's asking you? He's asking you to give him back your life that he bought and purchased and took away your sins. That's the thing. It's an exchange. I give you my life in exchange for your life. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. This is the great white throne judgment. And him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens, fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Now, you say, what's the books? This is the books that has everything that we've ever done in our life. And so he's saying these books were opened. And yet there was another book. Everybody say another book. So this other book is the book of life. This is the book that Jesus exchanges from all the things that we've done with the purchase price of his life and his blood. It says, look, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books which is what you don't want to happen. You don't want to be judged, judged according to the books. You want to be judged whether or not your name is written in the book. Which book? The Lamb's Book of Life, where Jesus erases all the things that we have done, the, the books, and he writes your name in a new book, and this is the thing where the exchange of the cross takes place. And this judgment that we all face, this is an everybody judgment. Nobody escapes this judgment. Doesn't matter if you believe in him on this earth or not. Doesn't matter if you believe God is real. It's not a qualifier for this judgment. Everyone will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. 
Now, what we have to understand is this. It's a grace judgment. You can't earn this. You can't go to church enough to pass this test. You can't be religious enough to pass this test. The only thing you can do is to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to each and every one of us. That's how your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Everybody with me? So how do I make sure my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Look at what Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? So look, we did all the religious things. We went to church. We served on the dream team. We were in small groups. We went and served in outreach on the first Saturday of every month. You can do a lot of religious things, but look at what happens. I did this in your name. We perform miracles. And he says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. But we did all the right things, right things with the wrong heart. See, that word know right there is gnosko. You want to know how you get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? It's a relationship with Jesus. It's not a works-based salvation. You can't earn it. You can't sing enough songs. You can't attend enough church. You can't outreach enough. It is all about a relationship with God. That word gnosko is like the word Adam and Eve gnoskoed and conceived Cain and Abel. There is an intimacy with God that I have an authentic relationship with him, that we have fellowship, that I read his his word that I worship, and I don't do it because I'm trying to earn it. I do it because I love him. Gnosko, gnosko. The first judgment determines eternal destination, heaven or hell, with God or without. Here's the second test or the second question. It's a little bit different. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all, everybody say all. Paul's talking to Christians right here. And he's talking now about a different type of judgment. Appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is what we call the Bema judgment. That each one may receive, now check it out. Remember, this is not eternity. You've already been judged by the great, great white throne judgment. You're in heaven. This is a judgment based on what we did. Look, it said, each will receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So what did you do with what I gave you? It's a stewardship question. See, as Christians, we're required to be good stewards. Why? Because your life doesn't belong to you. What we have doesn't belong to us. There was the great exchange, and now we are stewards, and God loves to reward people, so this is an opportunity for God to reward those who have been faithful. Someone says, well, I don't know if it all belongs to God. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's, and a couple of the things that you have. Is that what it says? What I decide to give him. No, it says, everybody say that word. Everything. Everything. So it's all his. We're stewards. We, we, we have been entrusted with what belongs to him. And Jesus is going to come again one day and he's going to reward us for how we stewarded the things that he entrusted us with. See, God is a rewarder and he loves to reward. 
Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. It says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward. Everybody say that word. Reward. Each person according to what he has done. And listen, it didn't say couples, families. Like, you got to make sure that we understand, because I think sometimes it's easy to say, well, well, they, my, my wife does it, and she's a great, you know, she, she really covers the finances, and she's the one that serves, she's the religious one, or my, my husband does it, or my parents do it. No, no, listen, I, I, I've got to prepare you for this test. I've got to make sure that you test well. It's not about your spouse. It's not about your family, though those things are important. God's going to look at you and say, I gave you some things. I gave you time, talent, and treasure. What have you? you done with what I gave you. So you got to make sure that we are the ones that are responsible. And again, I just want to make sure we're clear. Look, in one way, it's grace and all Jesus. That's salvation. But in another way, it's works and how we live this life. You have to understand there are two judgments. And the way we spend eternity in heaven is based on how faithful we are with what God has given us. Us. And so this is what I challenge us with. Look, life is short. James, it's like a vapor. That's what he says. Just here today, gone tomorrow. Just quick. The older you get, the more you realize the years just pass so quick. So my job now is how do we live for what really matters? How do we live for eternity? And I just want to give us three quick things this morning that will help us live our lives with eternity in focus. The first one is this. I will give what I have. It's a choice you have to make. If we're going to leverage our lives, we have to be willing to give what we have to make an eternal impact. Now, the thing that we understand here is, look, I've got to just be able to hold the things that God's put in my life loosely. Look, God's not going to judge you for what you don't have. I know sometimes we make excuses. It's like, well, God, I would do that, but I don't have a lot of money. Or God, I would do that, but I'm not that talented. God, I would do this, but how many know we got a lot of butts? Come on, somebody. Big butts, little butts, all kinds of butts that keep us from doing what God's called us to do. But it's interesting in the judgment, trying to wake you up. Some of y'all done fell asleep. Sit down, my, my butt, my God. It's interesting, though, he's not going to judge you on what you didn't have. He judges us based on what we do have. Like, what did you do with what you had? And, and, and the question is, what did you do with it? You know, I'm reminded of the scriptures uh, in, uh, that talk about people that gave it all. Here's just three quick ones, examples. There was a little boy who had a sack lunch. If you know the story in John chapter 6, the masses come to surround Jesus. And there's a boy who's got five loaves and two fishes. And uh, the masses are coming, and Jesus said, go ahead, I want you to get ready to feed them to the disciples. And one of the disciples speaks up and says, Jesus, that would take more than half a year's wages just to give these 5,000 men, not, not including women and children, just a bite of bread. What do you have? And they said, well, there's a little boy who's willing to give up his sack lunch, five loaves and two fishes. Jesus said, go ahead and have them seated. And it's an amazing thing that what that boy had in the hands of Jesus was more than enough to feed the masses. Even though it was little, you could say, God, I don't have a lot. Yeah, yeah, but in the hands of Almighty God, when it's multiplied, it's a miracle that takes place. I'm reminded of the poor widow in the, the Luke chapter 21 who gave 
that we, we know the story as the widow's mite. And it's interesting because Jesus is, there's an offering being taken. And, and I just love it because Jesus is bold. Like we have giving centers and online, but could you imagine if I put the bucket right here and I'm like, mm-hmm, oh, that was a good one. You know, I mean, he saw what was being put into the bucket. And so you can imagine, and here's what, what I, you can even imagine. Some people were giving out of pride. And the passage actually says the wealthy were giving out of what they had. So in other words, they gave a whole lot, but there was very little impact because they had a whole lot more. And then Jesus sees this poor little widow walk up, drop in two pennies, two widow's mites, drops them in the bucket. And then he stops the crowd and says, this woman has given more than all the rest because she gave out of her lack was all that she had. Sometimes you can say, well, God, it's not a lot. God didn't ask if it was a lot. He said, are you willing to let go of it? I need you to let go of what's in your hands when I ask you to let go of it because I'm doing something. And that's where it's just, it's a principle that when you're willing to let go of it, when you just say, God, I hold it loosely. And here's what I would tell you. You know, I don't give to everything. I give when I feel like the Holy Spirit tells me to give. There's a lot of need out there. And sometimes you can give to something that wasn't God and you become an enabler. That wasn't God that told you to give. You just felt sorry for him. And God's like, don't feel sorry. I'm doing a work. And if you'd stay out of my work, I would actually get it done. So you have to qualify it and say, God, is that you? And if it is, you just hold it loose. I'm reminded of the sinful woman. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, she's the one that had the alabaster box. She broke it and poured it on the feet of Jesus. And it's amazing what happens. The religious and the people in the room begin to scoff at her and say, I can't believe she broke this perfume bottle and poured it on Jesus' feet. That's a year's worth of wages. What a waste. Jesus said, oh, baby, this ain't a waste. In fact, what she has done will be told around the world for ages to come. She gave sacrificially to anoint me and to bless me. And it's amazing. Here's the legacy part. If you think about it, here we are today talking about three stories. And it wasn't about the amount. It was about the sacrifice. It was about the obedience. It was about God, I'm going to give what I got. When you say to give it, when I feel stirred. And then legacy is birth. Lives are changed. That's what legacy is all about. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be made rich in every way. So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So it's the key, God, I want to be a legacy, a legacy giver. I want to be a legacy person who lives a life of legacy. Why? Because I want God to be glorified through my life. Here's the second choice you have to make. I'm going to serve others. If you're going to keep an eye on eternity, you have to serve others. There's no way around this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus sets the, exa- sets the example. Look, you want to be great, you want to make an impact, serve. If you, if you don't care about impact in your life and keeping an eye on eternity, don't serve. And it's not easy. Let me tell you, serving is never convenient. 
It's never like you're going to feel led to serve, like, woo. No, you got to make time. You got to say, God, I'm going to be intentional. That's where we have to break out of the mentality of right now, right here is all there is. No, baby, you're going to live 80 years, 90 years, and the bulk of our lives is spent in eternity. And if we could say, God, right now, I choose to give my life away, to serve my life away, to do what you call me to do, you're going to be rewarded in heaven. That's what I love about our dream team. You know, you got, you got Josh Originalis back there on the camera. You guys go and watch it on the YouTube channel. That's Josh and his team. They edit it every single week. It's their serve. That's what I love about the greeters. You got greeted by people today, both in the parking lot and the breezeway. Why would they do that? Because they understand that if I'm going to live a life of legacy, that means I'm going to serve. It's not just about what I give financially. It's about giving my life to make people feel loved like Jesus loves them. That's what I love about our children's ministry. Many of you, we've got hundreds of kids that come to our church every week, and they love on your babies. They change diapers, and when they change diapers, they're praying over your baby, the destiny over your baby. This baby is a world changer. It's keep his life pure and holy. The children's ministry, Cheyenne and John and all the people, they're not back there to babysit your kid. They're back there to give the love of God to children that need it more than they've ever needed it before. They're faced with more things than we could even imagine. And they're looking for a place saying, do I belong? Does someone believe in me? Is it safe? Is this a place where they really love me? Or do I have to perform like I do all week? Why? Because dream teamers get it. You know, we say dream teamers. That's our volunteers. They just get it. It's, it's never convenient. It's not because it's easy. And what, what, what I think we've got to persuade ourselves against is people say, well, I'll serve when life is perfect. When my marriage is perfect and my kids are perfect, when I have no problems, then I'll come and serve. But you got to realize, you got it backwards. You got to have something to live for that's greater than your problems. I need something to pull me out of my mess that causes me to live what God's called me to live. And the devil would lie to you. Listen, there are no perfect people here. People who shake your hands, walking through craziness in their families. You never know. Somebody could be struggling in the middle of a divorce, but they got a smile on their face. Why? Because they understand I will never live a problem-free life, but I got something greater to live for than my problems. I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve people, and I want them to feel the love of God. I'm reminded of a story. I met a lady just a couple of weeks ago. Her name's Monique, and I just want to read, this is a story that she was sharing, what God's done with her. She said, I came to a place of darkness in my life. I was overwhelmed with loss of a job and a spouse of 15 years. I was about to lose my house that I lived in for 13 years. I really wanted to commit suicide. I was overwhelmed with hopelessness and grief, and I had no hope for the future. So I checked myself into Texana Crisis Center as a cry for help. And that's where I heard about Anchor Bend. It's there that God showed me that he is with me. He touched my heart. He freed my mind. He freed my spirit. At the end of the service, I picked up a fresh start book and began to read it. I came to a place of complete surrender to God, to trust him and him alone. God has been on the move. He helped me to recenter my life. I finished Next Steps. She just finished Next Step. She started to come alive, activating her purpose by serving in Anchor Bend College and the greeters team. Now here's, life's not perfect, but things are getting better. I'm working now, teaching part-time, and moving into an apartment today. God is so good. 
When I met her a couple of weeks ago, I just thought, you know, we could all have excuses. Well, I'm, I'm in Texas, and life's, life's been so cruel, and it has. But the thing is, that's when we are called to be more engaged than we've ever been. That's when we're called to pull in, not push out. We're called to come close, not leave far. And we have to understand it does something to not only us, but the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. When we choose to serve others, we push back the kingdom of darkness and we advance God's kingdom. Here's the third thing, the last thing. It's a choice you have to make if you're going to live for legacy. I'm going to share Christ. Everywhere I go, I have to make a decision that I'm going to share Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, we are ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Think about this. You're God's ambassador. That's what an ambassador does. When you have an ambassador in a foreign country, they represent that country. This, this earth is not our country. Look, we are sojourners passing through. You're now born of a new kingdom. And we are the ones that make the appeal on God's behalf. And what we have to understand is we miss many times the opportunity that God has set up as a divine setup because we're afraid. We don't take the ownership of the responsibility for the personal invite. Maybe we're not intentional. We're afraid. We're nervous. And what I've realized is this. If God is talking to you to say something to someone else, I promise you it's not the devil. It kind of goes back to when you don't see anything working, God's still working behind the scenes. And you got to say, God, I'm going to step out. I'm going to be bold. I'm reminded of Salim. I don't know if Salim, Pastor Salim is in the service or not. He preaches on Sundays out and He's been a dear friend of mine since about 2007. He's a Muslim. So he's preached for me here on Sunday mornings and at the Anchor Bend Leadership Academy. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking and we were talking about the power of an invite even at, at the movies. And he said, tell them, don't forget that I was a devout Muslim. Devout Everybody who saw Salim said, that brother, he prays when he's supposed to pray. He fasts. He fasts when he's supposed to fast. Fast is. He fasts when he's supposed to fast. And he said, my freshman year in college, I was in Florida on the beach, and a cute girl came and asked me to go to a Christian coffee shop. Didn't care nothing about Christianity. I'm a devout Muslim. He said, but she was cute. So I went to this Christian coffee shop. She got me there, and I didn't realize the Christian coffee shop was connected to a church. But when I walked into the coffee shop, I felt such love and welcome that I wanted to go back. So he said, I went back again and back again, and then they invited me to their church. And what was interesting is that I didn't have to believe to belong. I found people that loved me. And he said through just a series of events, he gives his life to Christ and has lived radical, on fire for God over years. And he has seen tens of thousands of people come to Jesus. Why? A personal invite. Some girl that was bold enough to walk up to a Muslim man and say, would you be willing to come to a Christian coffee shop? Look, that's the power of at the movies. Look, you ain't got to believe to belong. Man, I'm telling you, you like movies? Come check it out. We're going to have some of Hollywood blockbuster movies. People say, well, I'm not religious. Phyllis was talking in the conversation the other day. She's like, I'm not religious either. Right, we ain't religious. We have relationship. Religion kills, but relationship gives life. Someone says, well, I'm atheist. I'm Muslim. I'm Come on, you ain't got to believe to belong. Come check out this movie. It's the power of an invite. It's the power that God is working behind the scenes. But I have to tell you this. No matter how amazing we set up this auditorium, and we've spent thousands of dollars doing this 
at the movies and making it excellent. If we can't invite your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, that's your responsibility. That's where it's like I have to take that ownership of God. I'm going to, sh- and and I get it. Some people say I don't know what to say. This is what I say. Just come and see. Come and see. Look, I get it. Some people are afraid to share their faith. If you're not at that place, just tell people to come and see the place that has changed your life. Just come and see the place that's made the difference in my life. And I'm believing, this is my prayer, that we're not going to stop until our cities are reached with the power of the gospel. We're not going to stop. We'll preach Jesus. We're going to love people. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're, we're getting healthier. Come on, somebody. And this is my promise, that as your pastor, we're going to keep an eye on eternity. That we're not going to get persuaded or distracted like there's other. No, no, got to keep our eye on eternity. That God, I'm going to serve. God, I'm going to give. God, I'm going to share. God, I'm going to live my life. Why? Because I want us to pass the test. And I'm believing with all of my heart. Revival's coming. You know, I believe the awakening of the church, the awakening of this area. And we'll be right in the middle of it. But we're going to have to choose to live a life of legacy. 